Well, as we found out uh, over the course of the show, because we've been talking a lot about the uh, the fire that destroyed the town of Lytton, uh, last year was a real wake-up call for not just British Columbia, but I think a lot of people across Canada, just about the impacts of what's happening around us. Um, we saw, of course, saw the extreme heat, the heat dome leading into that fire in Lytton. Then there were the, there was the flooding that came up later in the year, the atmospheric rivers, so to speak. We saw other flooding across the country. Um, we see lots happening, obviously, in the states, in California. It's an ongoing concern. Um, one of the issues, though, is that are our cities being built or are do they exist right now in a way that is able to handle these changing conditions, specifically when it comes to the heat? Uh, we had a coroner's report earlier this year that showed that 619 people uh, were thought to have died because of heat-related, because of the heat dome, that their deaths were directly related to the heat and the heat dome. And a lot of those people uh, lived alone. Um, a lot of them actually lived in single-family homes, which may have come as a bit of a surprise uh, to some. Uh, so what lessons can we learn there, there as my next guest has said there is no silver bullet but there's a lot of silver buckshot out there a lot of potential solutions that we'll need to try and that's a fascinating way of putting it so how do we make our communities more climate proof more heat proof joining me now is alex boston he's the executive director of the renewable cities program at simon fraser uh, university here in vancouver thank you so much for your time tonight thank you ben for your interest it's really important to take advantage of this sad anniversary to fr- reflect on what we can do better in our homes, um, with local government, with senior levels of government. And there's so much more that can be done. And the great thing is is designing better communities that are more resilient to climate change impacts are so often um, measures that we can take that help us manage costs for you know, reducing upwards pressure on property taxes and making our, our neighbourhoods better places to live in. Yeah, because I guess so much of what was built was, um, I mean, it was built often without any of that in consideration, uh, even. But I guess as we move on, we also notice that uh, that there are certain types of buildings that really trap heat, uh, and that there are just sort of structures in place uh, and and communities that have been built without really taking into consideration that that perhaps what's happening around us is changing, and that those same communities mightn't be as suitable as they once were. How, how do we? Where do we start? Yeah, so the, the, you make a really good point, Ben, and that is the starting point is we've designed our communities based on this historical record of climate patterns, and we can now lo- no longer use the historical record as the starting point for designing, designing standards, engineering standards, um, uh, building science for uh, buildings, for roads, for neighborhoods. Um, those those historical standards no longer reflect what's going to be happening in our future. So this is a big course correction. Interestingly, the first industry in the world to make this course correction is actually uh, the, the, the insurance and the reinsurance sectors. They've understood this, and they're changing policies um, because they're seeing these mounting um, losses as a result of extreme extreme weather events. The other thing that's really um, uh, a, a bit of a, a conundrum for us is some of the services that we've relied on have inadvertently um, driven us to make really bad decisions about urban design and building design, you know, before the 1920s, before electricity existed in every home in the country, before um, air conditioning was widely available, you go into a 
community with a hot um, climate, like Phoenix, Arizona, the hottest city in the United States. And you would see in the 1920s and the 1910s, tree-lined streets, lots of um, treed parks. You'd see awnings over main streets. You'd see um, porches that are covering um, windows and provide sleeping spaces in the summer, open designs to have cross-ventilation. We don't do that any longer because we're over a line on uh, electrical and mechanical systems um, to cool our homes. We have to relearn some of those things that we were really good at and, uh, and how allowed us to survive in really hot, hot climates. Um, so so the, 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 the transformation of the new standards, the new climate, and going back to some of the things that we were really good at historically, we, before we depended on um, uh, electricity and, and air conditioning. Yeah, because you've, I mean, it's interesting that we could actually go back to things that, that the solutions may already be out there. Um, what are some of the, I mean, you've talked about this. What are some of the things that we should start looking at when it comes to at least, uh, let's take heat, for instance, because I know you worked on that coroner's report uh, about the heat dome and the deaths related to that. What sort of lessons coming out of that did we learn about? And this applies as much to every other city in the country as it does to Vancouver. But what did we really learn there about what needs to be done uh, to try to mitigate some of the, the impacts of hotter weather that we're undoubtedly going to see at least hotter heat waves? Yeah, we're, you know, there's seven, to- seven times more likely if we don't drive deep emission reductions. Um, and so it is really important to look at how do we drive uh, solutions that allow us to adapt to this new climate regime, but also drive deep emission reductions. And that's why we have to actually figure out ways to lessen our dependency on air conditioning. And it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, um, but we can have um, better thermal performance in our buildings to ensure that we don't drive the demand. Because one of the things that can happen in some of our jurisdictions in Canada um, and across the United States is that um, now peak electricity demand is in the winter. Sorry, in the, has shifted from the winter to the summer. So what that right. means is that we're at real risk of brownouts uh, when all of a sudden everyone turns on their AC. And this is happening at the same time that we're starting to shift transportation energy to electricity. So one of the things that we really have to do is think of problem solving in an integrated manner. When it comes to you and your home, you know, make a plan now in advance of a heat event. Um, what are you going to do when a heat event happens? Do you have a fan? Do you have window coverings? Uh, do you know how to operate them? You know, do you close your windows when they're when it's hot on your you know southern and your western exposure in the afternoon and the evening sun when it's blistering hot? Um, you know, it, it's unbelievable how important a contribution a fan can make if we know how to use it. Using that fan to blow cold air in during the evenings um, can make a, a huge contribution to reducing the temperature of a building, not just during, a, uh, during the evening, but throughout the whole day, but closing those windows um, during the day. And I think what's really important, Ben, right off the, the bat, you mentioned that the most vulnerable people when it comes to heat events is seniors who are solo. 
So get to know a senior. If you're in a multifamily building, connect with that senior. Ensure they have a plan. Get to know a senior. Get to know seniors in your neighborhood. Um, do they have a plan? Touch base with them um, during a heat event to make sure that they have water. They know how to cool themselves. Get them a fan if they don't. If they if they haven't um, um, put in place a plan. Uh, ensure that they, they drink water, take a shower, bath to cool down. And everybody, make sure in those really blistering heat events, don't go out during peak temperature. Because what happens is we raise our temperatures, uh, you know, over consecutive days, and it's really difficult to bring it down. And seniors in, particu- in particular have lost that capacity to cool themselves or they lose it uh, um, really early on. What That's one of the things that happens as we age. That isolation of seniors, I agree, Alex, is such a such an issue, especially as we found out uh, through that coroner's report here into the heat dome, uh, just the sheer impact that had, especially on seniors with pre-existing medical conditions, but just the isolation was such, was was deadly, uh, unfortunately, in this case. And what a, what a great suggestion to at least pick one, you know, find one, uh, knock, knock quietly on the door, try not to scare anyone, but Look out for people in your neighborhood. It's such a great piece of advice. I'm speaking with Alex Boston. He's the executive director of the Renewable Cities Program at Simon Fraser University. We're talking about just the kind of year it's been over the last uh, last 12 months, specifically in BC, but right across the country. We've seen all kinds of weather events that really are pause uh, pause for thought and just how we should be better building our cities or at least adapting our cities and, and ourselves and our own living spaces to some of these uh, more extreme weather events that we've been witnessing. We'll be back with more. Fascinating to have Alex Boston on this half hour. He's the executive director of the Renewable Cities Program at Simon Fraser University. We're talking about ways to make cities better adapted, or at least help them better adapt to a changing climate. We've seen it specifically in BC over the last 12 months with hot temperatures, flooding, uh, wildfires, uh, specifically in the town of Lytton, the anniversary of that coming up tomorrow, of course. Uh, But also across the rest of the country, a lot of these... um, Clearly, a lot of these uh, strategies would, would would work perfectly well in every other part of the country as well. Um, Alex, you've you've talked a lot of just about about uh, about sort of long term preventative action, and I think one of the things that you've mentioned in the past is that uh, too much of what we do when it comes to retrofits and so on kind of focuses on the on on those who already have the most and not those that need it the most. Again and again, what we see it is a. Um, an effective strategy when it comes to market transformation, we see rebates offered for electric vehicles, for building retrofits, and again and again, they go to the most affluent families. In this situation, because um, the most vulnerable people are A, seniors, but B, people living in homes um, that don't have good temperature regulation, we have to start first on homes that aren't well, um, that don't have good temperature regulation. So it might mean air conditioning, but overwhelmingly, we got to be thinking in an integrated manner about how we drive deep emission reductions. So you, you take a look at some of the best programs in the world that have actually gone from high carbon residential multifamily or, or single family down to zero and they've it's by um you know really scaling retrofits you know precisely measured prefabricated insulated panels and you just slap take remove off remove some your old siding put on this these new insulated panels do the same with the roof put an air source heat pump in the back and a solar panel 
and away you go. And, you know, it's interesting that was being done in Edmonton last year uh, while the heat wave was going on uh, where they were nearing 40 degrees and these new retrofitted buildings, uh, these residential townhouses were using up to 400% less energy than a typical air conditioned home. Um, you know what they it cost them a hundred thousand dollars a unit um but they had a capital replacement an asset management plan for replacing windows doors siding roofing a heating system and they also got a cooling system and an air filtration system for our new forest fire season that so much of us experience across the the country so the savings are huge um, and we can drive down the cost um, immensely by by scaling this and not thinking about you know thousands but thinking about tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and this is where provincial governments and federal governments are critical and this is not just about um energy carbon carbon climate this is about a really effective asset management approach um to ensuring that we protect value in our homes yeah, and, and and the point you put a point out, or the the point you make that's so that's so interesting is that of course it is just an investment because in the long run it will pay off, not only in saving lives but and, and making people more comfortable, but just period lower energy bills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, that, that's the thing. If we're if we're smart when it comes to taking climate action, we can do this really cost effectively, and you know you don't replace uh, your bus fleet um, or your car. Um, just because there's a new uh, uh, electric vehicle incentive program, you wait until the end of um, its life and the next generation of the vehicles or the next generation of buildings that we have are going to be high performers or, you know, the, the next heating and, and cooling system that we have in our, in our buildings. That's the way to do it in a really, really strategic manager, manner that really lowers costs. It's about uh, managing our assets in a really smart way. I only have about 90 seconds left and we have lots more we could talk about, but are you optimistic about where things are headed? Do you see the sort of momentum that you'd like to see out there when it comes to adopting some of these ideas, specifically with the sort of challenges that a lot of governments at all levels are now facing with uh, these more extreme weather events that we're seeing? Well, I think the public is ready, but I unfortunately don't believe that local governments, provincial governments, federal governments are acting decisively. We really, really have to move in a regulatory manner with smart um, you know, financial instruments to drive this agenda forward. You know, legislatively, you know, provincial governments should work with local governments to ensure that you know, there is a, a protection and restoration of our urban forest canopy, which also makes a huge contribution to managing um, vulnerability around extreme heat, but also reducing um, flood risk in our communities. And we have precedents where we are making progress, but we're not taking advantage of them and really scale, scaling them province-wide and countrywide. Alex Boston, fascinating conversation. Look forward to speaking with you again. Um, thanks so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben, for your interest.